episode of the In Real Deep podcast. I'm your host, Steve Semino, senior writer at InRealDeep.com, and with me, as always, is executive editor Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Hello, hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the In Real Deep podcast, listeners. Welcome, Andrew, and welcome a very special guest. This is his first time on the In Real Deep podcast proper. If you are a fan of our Al Pacino sub-series and Justice for Al, you know this man very well. He is my nemesis. He is my arch enemy. <laughs> Though I think we may have turned a corner in our relationship, we could be reaching new heights. We'll see. I don't want to get ahead of myself. He's here right now to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with us. Of course, I mean Tom. Hello, Tom. Good evening. <laughs> is that Dracula? Uh, like Vincent Price it's or something. a little Vincent Price. <laughs> you know what that's fine if that's what felt right in the moment just you know stick with it that's what matters i didn't do my usual thing and have a quote from the movie ready to go steve so i uh but that's because i didn't get to take notes yeah because it was in the theater the one we're talking about but i'll just say this and away we go (laughs) That's, that's a line from the movie as i said we are talking about once upon a time in hollywood if you've been following the nrld podcast you know we've been talking about the Quentin Tarantino movies, we've been going through his filmography, and this is one we've wanted to talk about for quite a long time. Not only because Al Pacino is in it, but because it's a Tarantino movie in theaters, and you don't get a ton of those these days. And once we knew we were talking about a Pacino movie, obviously we had to bring Tom on as well. So this is going to be a great amalgamation. All of the In Real Deep podcast sub-series and offshoots and, and filmographies all mushed together into one beautiful, delicious mix. It's really either the best or worst we have to offer. I'm not sure which, but <laughs> Tom, let's get your take first. Let's let's talk about this movie in general. We've never had you on to talk about anything but Pacino. Obviously, Al's in this movie, but there's more going, way more going on than just Al. I'd love to hear your general thoughts on the film and and, and your general thoughts on Tarantino in general. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on again, and I'm excited to be on the real podcast. Um. I, can you I feel love the, the difference. Is it just is it just a different sort of vibe? <laughs> I, I can tell the difference already, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of liking it. <laughs> uh, the movie I really like the movie. Uh, I am a big Tarantino fan, admittedly, but I don't know. I I thought it was you know it was absurd, like all Tarantino movies at some level. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great. I mean, it was like. A great homage to like old Hollywood, at least in the warped brain of Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't know. It was just it was, the soundtrack was amazing. It was just the feel I loved. The uh, without you know offering spoilers, the counter history was hilarious and weird. Tom, you can do spoilers on the podcast. Yeah, we, we can build right. to it, or you can just throw it right out there and stick we, we, And we're going to have to talk about that scene at some Oh, point, yeah, that's the movie, as far as I'm concerned, in a lot of ways. But, yeah. So, anyway, don't hold back, Tom. Right. Now. Um, <laughs> I would say that Leo was definitely stole the show. And the character he plays, Rick Dalton, is, I mean, it's just like one of my favorite characters that I've seen in a long time. And it was just, like, so well done, I thought. Wow. Well, before we get to Andrew, I just realized because we're on the real In Real Deep podcast, we need to do beverage of choice segment. So, Tom, tell us what you're drinking. Andrew, tell us what you're drinking. And then we'll get to your thoughts as well on this hit film. Well, I'm drinking whiskey straight. No junk in it, of course, in celebration of uh, Inglorious Bastards. (laughs) Um, I think that was scotch in that movie, but I'm just having a rye. But it's quite good. (laughs) it's brown it's straight brown alcohol basically is that straight brown amber restorative <laughs> just comes gotcha. in a jug with skulls and x's on it and just yeah and it's a brown drink you got it uh well i'm drinking a, a, a buffalo trace uh with a little splash of ginger ale on the top um also kind of in honor of rick dalton who uh has a bit of a drinking problem i think it's fair to say (laughs) (laughs) and i am keeping with my theme on these tarantino episodes of drinking la centric beverages i have a gin and tonic made with mulholland gin which is made in the los angeles area and is one of the best gins if not the best gin i've ever had in my entire life so 
Hooray, wow. Los Angeles. Hooray, good gin. And sort of hooray, Quentin Tarantino, given what movie we're talking about. I, th- I think this one is a hooray, but I'd love to get your take, Andrew. You and I have barely talked about this movie, and I'm very curious as do you feel about it, given, given we're in the middle of our you know, Tarantino run through all of his movies. Yeah. Yeah, well, so it's it's interesting um, to jump. So, Tom, where, where we last left off was Kill Bill. And yeah. then Steve and I have both watched Death Proof, but we haven't recorded yet. So um, it was, it's interesting to jump forward and talk about this movie. Because, like, in the, you know, in a, in a, to very quickly recap sort of where we've been, it's like I, I kind of felt like Reservoir Dogs was like, uh, a stage play slash film school project. It's still good, but it's like, it's very primitive Tarantino. Pulp yeah. Fiction is like a masterpiece. Jackie Brown is great. And then like Kill Bill represents this real um, line of demarcation in his career where he, he, he go like he's always, as you referenced, he's always a very uh, um, uh, over-the-top <laughs> director in many ways. <laughs> and so that's always there through all of his films. But Kill Bill is like a big, step up like the the notch is turned way up and i think what's interesting about this one to jump way ahead now is like this one other than the notable end of the movie which we'll talk about other than that it 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 kind of dials it way back down in a lot of ways um it's a somber film probably his most somber i would say um there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of joy or even like even like as much humor i would say um and uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to not get into that last scene there. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's that, that sort of stuff prematurely. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I totally agree with Tom that um, DiCaprio is like the the star of the show here. I mean, he's the star of the show in any, but there's this such a great cast. You know, it's got Brad Pitt, too. Um, I thought Margot Robbie was great. I know her performance is somewhat controversial because she barely says a word, but I actually think there's like there's a lot of screen time for her and she communicates a lot um, as as Sharon Tate. Um, You know, I guess the only other thing I'd call out is like um, this is a movie, um, even though it does have that counter history, this is a movie where you actually need to know the specific history involved of the, in the Sharon Tate murder and the Manson family to actually like fully appreciate it. There's these moments of dread um, that I think are just really powerful. And some of them don't really, they're purposely don't pay off. But um, if you don't know what happened to Sharon Tate, are you only going with like kind of a foggy knowledge of it then um, uh, and the Manson family, really, I guess if you don't know anything about them, like you won't fully appreciate the, the film. So on that front, I would just recommend uh, Karina Longworth's podcast series on the Manson family in Hollywood, which is the real backstory. If you haven't seen it as like a nice pairing with this movie, but yeah, I, I liked it as a, as a kind of shift back to, I think a, a slightly, I would never call Tarantino muted ever, but he, this is a more <laughs> muted version of himself, um, especially in the context of like the, four or so four to five movies that preceded it in his filmography i think that's really true and i think you hit on something andrew that i think extends beyond just the manson family i i totally concur that if you watch this movie and you don't know the story of sharon tate in particular you're not going to sort of realize the tension that is building throughout as you get towards the ending and you're also not going to necessarily realize why the ending is jarring beyond the (laughs) fact that tarantino makes it so goddamn jarring but you're not gonna understand why it's such a left turn but i also think i have a really good friend who's been on this podcast chris he was on our stars born episode and when he saw this movie i was excited to talk to him about it we're good friends we talk about movies a lot and he did not really enjoy it and i didn't get it at first so i was probing him and saying what didn't you like did you like this did you like that and what he we sort of got to is he does not care about 60s hollywood like he doesn't care about the history <laughs> of movies he doesn't he doesn't think it's bright and exciting and worth reliving he just doesn't care he 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 can be talked into caring but i think sort of what you touched on with the man's family is true about this if you don't already like that era of hollywood i'm not sure tarantino gives you a lot of reasons to i think it's sort of like if you know the history if you know the backstory if you know what they're sort of hinting at then it it is fun to see that sort of recreated and discussed in detail but i don't think a lot of this i don't think tarantino wastes a lot of time in this movie in trying to explain why these things were important which 
which sort of makes sense because it is a long ass movie already. Like I don't expect him to devote more time to to an explainer or to to backstory that isn't entirely relevant. But I could see this movie not appealing to people who are not older and didn't live through it or just don't care about film history or or anything surrounding film history. I just think it is. But I, but I also at the same time think for people like us who are big movie nerds and who care about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think that there's so much to like beyond the fact that it's entertaining and well acted and and you know all over the place in a good way i think it's just the, 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 what it touches on and what it tries to talk about and say i think is just you know icing on the cake for people like us yeah i i mean i think that's totally right um and if you don't have some at least a fleeting interest in like the history of hollywood and film then i agree that like his kind of this just obvious nostalgia movie on his part is not gonna resonate with you as much but I, I just love the idea that like he's so obviously created this just like total nostalgia trip about something that he's clearly obsessed with and has dedicated his entire life uh, to. And I, I, I just there's something that's like so audacious about I mean, so like nostalgia and memory is already kind of flawed and and is a bit of a lie anyway. And he just takes mm-hmm. that idea and runs with it in like the extreme other way. In this yeah. kind of sense that, well, nostalgia is already kind of BS, so I'm just going to make <clears throat> the version of history that I <laughs> would have preferred to exist, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of awesome to me, but also weird because like he has some interesting choices about like the things that he wanted to have happened. And I don't like, obviously the good thing that he changes is what happens at the end, but there's also just some some weird kind of questionable things that happen along the way that we could perhaps get into at some point. Yeah, I want to say, Andrew, because you sort of opened my eyes to an interpretation of this, but I will say, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the ending, meaning the violence and the ridiculous of it in a little bit, but I think what I found, one of the, I think I wrote about this in my review on nraildeep.com, is what is Tarantino... Um, trying to say with the fact that Sharon Tate and her friends live. Like, obviously, I think what you're hinting at, Tom, is it's good that people did not die, you know, meaning, like, innocent people who are just living their lives. Like, obviously, we can all agree that is a a nice turn of events. But... What, he made a whole movie about it with an alternate ending that was a, an interesting choice. Like, what is what what is this world he is imagining where Sharon Tate lives? Like, why is it that much better for everybody? Why is it worth making a whole movie about? Why is it worth sort of dreaming about and fantasizing about and bringing to life in this way? And when I first saw the movie, that was one of my lingering questions. It's like, I just don't get why this is that big of a deal, you know? And but but then you know, when I I saw Andrew in person for the first time in a while recently, and you opened my eyes to like. An interesting interpretation, I think, and uh, I'd love for you to share that with our listening audience. So, uh, yeah, and so I mean, I think there's there's two sort of parallel streams of like, okay, what is this movie about? And I, to even step back further, I, I think it's actually interesting having viewed you know a number of his movies again that I actually think this is like one of the more thematic and message oriented movies he's made. Actually, like, there's kind of a I don't know that it's exactly clear, but he, it's clear to me that he's clear what he's trying to say, but it's clear to me that he's driving at something more specific. Um, and when I look at even like a movie like Pulp Fiction, which is superior to this movie, I think, but it, it doesn't really like, I don't know that there's like a clear thing he's driving at. So anyway, uh, that's, I'd step back and say that, but I think the other thing that, so uh, that that's really interesting is that there's this two parallel um things going on in the movie one is um 1960s hollywood is kind of this tweener time between the sort of collapse and death of the studio system uh which like rick dalton represents right i mean he's a tv actor but it's like it's like the collapse of this the system that kind of made hollywood hollywood right but it's before um jaws and star wars and even like godfather and so so like what i what what you would call like the blockbuster era and like we're still living in that blockbuster era era so that's like there's there's definite nostalgia um and i and, and understandable nostalgia especially for someone like tarantino because i think there's major drawbacks to both the blockbuster era and the studio era of Hollywood, right? And in some ways, like you get like uh, the 60s, all the movies are the famous movies from that era are very strange to me in the context of like the famous movies that we all, when you like line them all up. But I, I think the other thing to me, like that this movie is about is sort of the 
the idea of mortality and immortality as an actor, right? So um, Sharon Tate ends up surviving, but I and, and and we can talk about the violence that immediately precedes it, but the very, 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 very end of the movie where um, you know Rick is is talking on the intercom to Sharon Tate at, at the at the end of her driveway is like fascinating to me. Like it felt basically like Rick was sort of ascending to heaven, which is like kind of the immortality an actor strives for. No one wants to like um no one wants to end up like Rick Dalton, like doing, doing shitty bit parts on a pilot uh, after they've been at, at the height of their career. And yet that's sort of like the, the thing that, um, that happens when you, when you act or direct, you know, you eventually get sucked into you, you, you lose your fastball. Right. And um, I, I just thought that I was fascinated by that very, very last scene. It's the thing that sticks with me even more than like this, violent alternate history that precedes it which is honestly ridiculous <laughs> um especially when you compare it with that and it um so you know i i think that's that's sort of my interpretation of the movie uh, the only other thing i'll say is like i really want to see this movie again to like knowing that there's that last scene to kind of like see if i can pick up more but that's sort of to me what what the whole thing is about is um this this battle for immortality as an actor when you when you eventually, you know, kind of lose it, which maybe is a weird tie back to Al Pacino in some ways, but, um, uh, uh but, uh, how dare but you? It, it, well, it's also how interesting. In the, it's also interesting in the context of what happens to Sharon Tate. I don't think, uh, in, in real life, I don't think Tarantino's arguing that that's a good thing, but there is this, you know, Neil Young idea of like, is it better to burn out than to fade away? You know, like, and, um, you know, Sharon Tate didn't burn out. She was extinguished, sadly. But um, he, he seems to be wrestling with that the entire movie. And and especially when you have this juxtaposition of a, a washed out actor versus this actor that is new and fresh and is just enjoying being able to go into a movie theater and see herself on screen. Um, you know, I, th- I thought it was I thought that was interesting and powerful. And it, like I said, it kind of he's kind of saying something I think maybe more profound or attempting to say something more profound than maybe he ever has. Now, whether that comes together exactly, I don't know, but um, yeah. I also, I I think that's, that's totally, uh, totally right. And those are really interesting points that you bring up. Um, I think like this is a slightly separate idea, but I think a bit related, I think, you know, if, if this was only just like a throwback nostalgia movie, then I don't think it'd be nearly as interesting as it is. But I think Tarantino's way too smart to, to to fall into like the trappings of just like kind of like golden age thinking of like oh like things just used to be better because the, the, like this vision of old Hollywood that he has is like pr- fairly brutal in a lot of ways yeah. and like a lot of the characters that he maybe in some ways is kind of lionizing. He's also like showing the, like the cold, like emptiness of these people's lives. And to me, like the Sharon Tate part of that is just like, even if like nostalgia is like totally a trap and like this world that we want to live in, but can't is actually kind of like horrendous too. Like there is something that would be worth almost like elevating and saving as the admittedly good or innocent parts of those things. And to me, like this, I mean, obviously, the kind of the loss of innocence or the topic of innocence is a very kind of overwrought and overplayed theme in movies. But I think he's like trying to salvage something that's legitimately like good from this era. And I think that like this is his vehicle to say, like, you know, there are good things and and there are like a kind of like innocence and, and things like that. Yeah, and I think that ties in really well with what we sort of hinted at before, talking about uh, Margot Robbie's performance as Sharon Tate and it not being universally well-received and controversy, whatever you'd like to call it, surrounding it. I think she obviously represents a lot of the innocence, as you said, Andrew, as you said, Tom. Like, in, in the movie, she does not speak a lot, but and a lot. I think that was interpreted by many people as putting her in the back seat compared to Leo and Pitt, which... To, to a certain extent, obviously, they're the two main characters. She's the third lead, so that logistically is how it works. But she's the, you know, and this is a little trite, but she's the soul of the movie. And 
she did not mm-hmm. I, did, I did not think she needed the character needed to speak or should have spoke to get across what you wanted to get across first off she's in a bunch of scenes by herself so there's no one to talk to in those scenes like I don't know right. who people expect her to talk to given the context of the movie but secondly I think the whole point is as everyone said you see her sort of growing and becoming this special person and and you you know what's going to happen to her so that that to me is all about the building of the tension and the fear and, and you and you sort of you you sort of feel like you're intimately with her in these moments you know you feel like you're you're going to the movies with her you're seeing her have a good time like it's all very pure it's all it's all very <laughs> genuine so you, you, yeah so yeah. when so when the trouble yeah. you know when what happens or what you think is what's going to happen happens you're expecting to you know be super duper sad and then you get this wacky twist which uh, is what it is and i want to get into that very soon because i think it's quite interesting to talk about but but i just don't i just don't see i'm i i I can only assume the people who have negative feelings towards her role in this came into this with some expectations like she's just gonna knock my socks off i've seen her in other movies she's really good i've seen her in itanya i'm sure she's gonna be great in this too i think she's as good in this as she's ever been i just think it's a different sort of role than people might have been anticipating and i I also think it's pretty stupid that everyone's bashing tarantino or the movie or whatever they're taking to task I just don't understand what they were watching. Like, just show up, watch the movie that's in front of you, and judge it on its merits, not because of expectations. Well, I think also they may have been. Well, I think there's there are some people who may have been had higher expectations, but I think there's other people who came in with who come in with kind of an agenda uh, around Tarantino, and which is just which is sort of justified given the end of the it, movie. Too. Well, it's it's justified given his entire filmography. Yes. I don't think he does women very well. Um, uh, generally speaking, but I I think it's very reductive and simple to go. Oh well, she doesn't have any lines. She doesn't talk a lot. Like, like I, I, be, because <laughs> to make a very obvious point that I feel like you know James Lipton should be sitting across from me. Acting is more than just speaking. You know, and delivering lines. And like, I, I, in my view, if you don't like get sucked into her as a character when she when she's in that like wanting to go see that movie of, of see herself on screen and she sees herself on the marquee and everything like that like i don't know what to do for you then that's where i do think you have like a bit of an agenda like that that whole scene is like that, that whole scene is amazing and it 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 does fill it it does fill you with like you said steve sort of this this real attachment to Sharon Tate that like, uh, honestly, I didn't really have, I just like, she's kind of a, to me before this movie, she, I, I can't really say that. I, I don't know that I've seen a, a Sharon Tate movie. Um, and so she's more notable to me as someone who's younger as the, the woman who got killed by the Manson family. Right. And, uh, but you watch this movie and that's on me. I need to, I guess I need to watch some Sharon Tate movies too, but like, um you watch this movie and you you you're you're to me like you're immediately attached to her and who she is and like you said you that fills the movie with this even greater sense of dread where you're like oh god what is going to happen to her um <laughs> or i know i know what's supposed to happen to her right and yet we also have this thought of Tarant- you know tarantino plays with plays with history uh, quite liberally um so um yeah i i just i would echo what you're saying like i I think it's reductive to be like, she doesn't have a lot of lines. So Tarantino's a woman hater or it was a bad performance by Margot Robbie. I think that's kind of a ridiculous standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I also just think it's worth saying like, like piggybacking on, on what you were just saying, AJ, uh, is that like Tarantino, obviously (laughs) given like several of his most recent movies has this like deep aversion to the idea of like, society treating either individuals or groups of people as like victims forever and like mm-hmm. it's very clear that he's just like has like a very personal interest in like trying to like yeah. use his art to to salvage like or save people almost from victimhood yeah that's a great point do you also do you also uh are you touching on emile hirsch in that regard as well perhaps or like <laughs> 
his need to rehabilitate for the, you know, perhaps to a distracting <laughs> degree where it was like, didn't really know why Emil Hirsch was in this movie. And, you know, and, and has an admitted reputation, you know, a charge for being a, an abuser. So that was, you know, the, 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 I think, but I think the juxtaposition of all this is fascinating and speaks to the ridiculousness of this person and the many, like, like the same person who made Jackie Brown made the last, you know, 15 minutes of this movie, you know, like that does not <laughs> feel like the same human being. Like it's just, and, and we've talked about this in our Jackie Brown episode. Like that was just, I, I don't whatever Tarantino was trying to accomplish back then. And, and sometimes in some scenes in many of his other movies, it's just so different. And then sometimes he just goes balls to the wall and it's sometimes embarrassing, sometimes exhilarating, usually a healthy mix of the two, but you're just like, what is going on in your his head? But the one thing I will say about this movie, I've seen this twice now, Andrew, as you were sort of hinting at that maybe it'd be great the second time. I remain so impressed that it holds together as well as it does. Like it is a mishmash of many different things. It feels like, you know, a couple movies, not necessarily glued together, but woven together. And there's just, it should not work as well as it does. Like it is, there's just a lot going on. Like you said, Andrew, there's not, you know, a lot of it is just Brad, Brad Pitt's driving a car for what? 15 minutes of screen time. Like there's, (laughs) there's a lot of downtime. It is not, it is not always the jump out of your seat crazy nonstop thrill ride it sometimes is a lot of times it's just conversations on acting a big chunk of it like it is just it is very many disparate parts brought together by a a expert storyteller and for all of his flaws and for his excesses and for some of the weird shit he pulls out of his ass sometimes he he crafts things he makes things fit into each other in ways you really would not think was possible until you see the finished product and you go wow all right i guess this is he did it again like jesus christ this guy yeah Totally agree with all that. There, uh, well, I, I would say, like, I think, it, Tom, that was a fascinating point about um, victimhood. But there is, like, again, when we go, when we, when you go Kill Bill forward, um, there is, like, this hedonism to his films, I think, as, like, a viewer, right? You, yeah. you, you, like, want the, like, you, <laughs> it's very, it's like junk food. You want the like spurt of blood, spurts of blood. They're going to come out in like Django, you know, like, right. and, um, and well, all of the movies that he makes, made since then, <laughs> but Django sticks out in my head for the spurts of blood, I guess. Um, and, and this one feels like it, it holds off on that hedonism until the very, very end of the movie, which you're highlighting, Steven. I just think it's like, it's like, he couldn't help himself. At the very yeah. End. And, and I like, honestly, I didn't have a problem with the idea of like an alternate history uh, because I still think that very last scene of Rick Dalton on the intercom with Sharon Tate is like critical to the whole meaning of the film. To me, it's like, not why did the Manson family get killed by Rick Dalton? It's like, why did it have to be like that? Like I didn't need. Why does that. Brad Pitt need to smash a woman's face into like sharp things to to an outrageous degree? Like I've heard mixed things. I've heard people like were rolling in the aisle laughing as hard as they've ever laughed, and I've heard people, myself included, who were like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like I wasn't offended necessarily, but I was like, "What in the?" fucking world is this like oh my god this is so vicious and unnecessary and out of left field so like i just don't see why that was necessary for for us to see in this movie you know yeah yeah it's not even the violence necessarily the extreme violence or even like that i have a problem with some of it it was just like one it just it just felt excessive and like a thumb in the eye to to his critics on this front. And, and then two, it just totally didn't really fit with the rest of the film. Like that thing with inglorious bastards and, and Django especially is like, they're kind of violent from the, from the get go. And so like, you know, at some point it's like, okay, this is just a part of the film. And here it's just so jarring. It doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of the film. That was really my problem. Um, I get, I guess. And it like, cause I was in, and I guess I was just also enjoying it being a more restrained Jackie Brown esque movie up until that point. Um, uh, it's not as restrained as Jackie Brown to be clear, but um, <laughs> it's it's on the same on the same wavelength. I think. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Tom. No, it's <laughs> fine. I mean, I agree that it was, it's totally absurd. I, I will say, in its defense, given that like this movie, it like so masterfully builds tension that actually never ends up going anywhere. 
Like mm-hmm. there's always just like this perpetual sense of dread that just builds for at least an hour from basically the scene where Brad Pitt's going to uh, to the Manson family farm. Right. And you think that something you think, you know, like there's a you watch that and you're like, he's about to get murdered, obviously. And then nothing happens. <laughs> and then it just it builds that way for the, the rest of the movie. And I, the one thing that the absurdity of the violence does is it immediately like takes that dread and like that kind of like pit that I, I felt uh, and then totally just like, oh, by the way, yeah, that was all just bullshit. And we can now have a good laugh at this thing that's not going to happen in this movie. And you kind of like laugh through this like tension that you've been dealing with. I, 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 and I'm sure that's what he's going for to a large extent. But there's ways to do that without, again, smashing, without Brad Pitt smashing a woman's head into something sharp. Like, in yeah, Glorious I mean, Bastards, the, the Nazis are evil and Django slave owners are evil you want them to die the Manson family was certainly evil but on this not on a scale of either of those people so I didn't have any personal desire to see these particular Manson family members who we've never really seen before most of them in the entire movie to see them be viciously beaten to death like I'm happy they did not kill those other people but I didn't need their their comeuppance they received to be so so absurd like I that was that was not a desire and even the smallest part on mine well and i i and i actually it's a great point you raised tom and it makes me kind of reconsider it to a degree but i also think you're right that it does cut the tension but so does bruce dern's entire appearance on the spawn ranch you know so it which is a really different way to cut the tension like i thought it was going to be a dead body in that room and then brad pitt was either going to be murdered or somehow i've like escape from the ranch or whatever but um and then it's just bruce dern being like an old guy basically which is really funny (laughs) um uh being an old guy who likes to like fuck basically i guess i don't like (laughs) like, it's it's great so like i mean i guess i would the counter to that is like there are different ways to cut the tension and i don't i guess there's it's kind of like it's it's all in degrees right like so there's a point for me in that scene where it's just like, okay, I've had enough. Like, it's almost like I could see someone get their face smashed in three times, but not the fourth time. I'm just making that <laughs> up. But like, there's a point where it just crosses the line a little bit for me. Um, and, and just feels again, um, like he's doing it just to do it, not to actually serve the story. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. And it got to a moment, like the first few, like I was like <laughs> loving it. And then I'm like, okay, this is getting absurd. <laughs> But and then it like I it it totally lost me and then then he brings out the flamethrower and then he one yes. check out flamethrower was pretty good he's, it's hard not to like that I mean he just keeps beating this dead horse until like he's totally revolted and then you can't stop but like laughing again also the they this, was, there was a woman in a pool and he uses a flamethrower on her like that was a nice touch too. <laughs> like, the fire I mean, weapon on a water on a water centric person was great. <laughs> Stop laughing through it's absurd and I, I like it's i don't know there's a, a lot to your points as well but i definitely could not stop laughing for about five minutes <laughs> so tom's the heartless one on the well you know we talk so much about story we talk so much about tarantino but what really makes this movie something special is i think the acting is truly phenomenal we talked a little bit about leo being great Brad Pitt, I think, is tremendous. Like, I really am... It's not a surprise anymore to see in Tarantino movie and and note the great performances, but this is, you know, getting two A-list superstars like this and having them hop into this movie, which is, you know, not offbeat necessarily. They both make interesting choices, but you've never seen them back-to-back like this. And especially for Leo these days, Leo's been getting showy and showy and showy trying to win his Oscar. And it was great to see him play like a nice regular human being for the most part, like a, a charming drunk actor. Like it was, it was a return to like, you know, a little more grounded Leo, which I really appreciated. I don't know that he had to reach too much to be like a drunk old guy. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yes, I agree. Uh, I mean, I I, I loved the as a total aside. I don't know if it was a great performance, but I love Damian Lewis as Steve McQueen as well. Um, for the thirty seconds that that was a thing, just because Steve McQueen is that's a hard thing to pull off. Um, perfectly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's like another great. I mean, Luke Perry's in this movie too. Like, <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> um there's just there's just a lot a lot of great things here 
And I, I also go back to Margot Robbie. I, I, I really think she was great in the movie. You said, you said you hit, she's the soul of the movie. I, I don't know what'll happen with the Oscars. She may not get much attention there again, because there's not, it's not a big, it's not like a showy performance. Um, but I think it's like the movie just doesn't work without her inhabiting and, and being Sharon Tate and, and giving you this connection. Um, and so I think she's, she's great too. Um, so. The, the the scene with Leo, just going back to him for a second. I mean, there was like two really, but the ones where he's uh, in by himself, just kind of in a drunken binge, just yelling at himself and just mm-hmm. cursing the storm, just at his, just like, just how much he hates himself. It's just it's just a classic, just yeah. unbelievable, unbelievably acted scene. And it's sort of this t- sort of touches on what we've talked about with the sort of dichotomy of Tarantino, the. The, and what Andrew and I have talked about throughout Tarantino's filmography, you know, bad people inhabited by good actors who are very charming. So you, it's sort of, you know, the edges get a little rubbed down and you can sort of embrace their horrible choices. This is a, a much smaller but still very distinct example of that. You know, Rick Dalton is a drunk. He's, you know, not the most lovable or pleasant person in the world, but we are rooting for him nonetheless. Cliff Booth presumably murdered his wife and it's presented in a sort of charming little flashback of his wife was annoying and so he probably drunkenly shot her and she died but it's brad pitt and no totally right and that's where tarantino is just like wait what like because for the most part like brad pitt's character cliff booth like i wouldn't call him a moral character for the most part in that movie but if you take away the fact that it's strongly hinted that he murdered his wife, he certainly doesn't really play a bad guy in the movie. Yeah. And then it's just, it's such a odd thing. Cause it's like, he's just like this very like, frankly likable, not totally horrible. Turns character. down underage sex, you know, for, which is, which is good. We can like him for that. That's the right thing to do. But yeah, that, 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 that and the the ending, you know, which coincidentally both involve Cliff Booth, Brad's pit character, are are very interesting choices that are not necessarily beneficial to the larger story. Like I'm not Tarantino is going to do what he's going to do, but I don't really know what he was going for by it, like you said, it didn't make it didn't make Pitt. It just sort of made him a a very abruptly bad person that wasn't necessarily earned or or understood in any way, you know? Like, all of a sudden, he... I, I guess the point is that he's a veteran and is capable of very vicious, shocking things, but that's not the way Pitt played it 99% of the rest of the movie. So, you can't help yeah. but, I think, take a step back. And that's one of the worst things in a movie like this, is if you stop and go, wait, what? Why did that happen? Then all of a sudden, the magic is gone, and it's it's not the movie it was 30 seconds ago. I, I would say, though, I think, you know, Tom hit on this a little bit, but, like, this is kind of a... that particular thing you're hitting on there is 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 a ongoing theme of of tarantino's movies by and large i mean um you know vincent vega and uh and and uh like he's a hitman you know um yet you end up rooting for him you yeah. know like um he's a hitman and a heroin addict mm-hmm. um you know jackie brown is a drug smuggling thief and like I've have warm and fuzzies about her, you know? So like, (laughs) so he does seem to, I guess, fixate on the, the multitudes that are, that are human beings. Right. Which is, you know, kind of true to life. Like it's, it's in some ways it's kind of interesting that, that Pitt DiCaprio dichotomy, the two characters, because um, you're right. Like, like DiCaprio is like kind of loathsome all the time, but like, really what has he done that's that bad he just drinks a lot like you know that's like kind of only hurting him right Right. whereas like cliff booth is like a good guy who will fix the antenna on the roof of your house and drive you all over town he's like the kind of guy you want as a buddy oh but uh, by the way he murdered his wife so um yeah that's (laughs) a great point kind of challenging conventions of morality in this kind of specific way like that and I'm yep. fine with that, and I agree that that is something he does all the time. But like I said, when it comes out of left field and is jarring, that's not the way I like him to do it. Like, we know he's better than that, too. We know he is capable of presenting multi-layered characters that you don't really know why you're rooting for sometimes. This one, we know why we're rooting for him. And then there's, you know, 
snippets here and there that are just don't really have any build up and you're just like wait huh and then it's on to the next thing so that's my only critique like and, and i don't think it is necessarily the worst thing in the world but it does it just strikes me like i said i, I think we just know as a writer as a as a filmmaker he's that's not usually how sudden he he, he drops those nuggets on maybe this is not the best person well, in the world uh I know what you're saying, but I think the the other key thing, and I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily a, a positive, but like the only way it's believable that Cliff Booth uh, gets out of the Spawn Ranch, like not only alive, but like scaring the shit out of the Manson family and also beating the shit out of Bruce Lee is if you know he has this kind of darker, violent side. Now, I'm not saying he has to murder his ex-wife to do that, but uh, or murder his wife to do that, to, to establish that. But it is kind of important in the context of the way he's going to be involved in the rest of the plot, that he has this edge to him. Right. Um, so. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree. It's, and, and perhaps that's why I don't feel it's an egregious quote unquote mm -hmm. flaw. It's just, just something that struck me both times as, as interesting, yeah. but you're right there. The, the, I think, you know what he's, I, I think it's also undercut in, in a good way. Just Pitt is the most charming one of the most charming men in the world, you know? So yeah. when he, when he's yeah. smiling and he's, even when he's beating the shit out of you, it's like, what a nice man. Like, I love him. I wish he would be, I wish he was my friend. I wish he was my buddy. I wish he was my driver. Like you can't help, <laughs> but, but have warm and fuzzies for Brad Pitt almost all the time too. So. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I saw, I came across this somewhere. I, I don't know. I feel like it's in an article or someone who's like a film critic said this, but recently I saw something like a headline to the effect of like, Brad Pitt, despite having been like a leading man so many times, is actually just one of the best character actors of our generation. <laughs> and I totally think that that's true. He, like he's just so good at playing these likable, but also very quirky characters. Yeah. And like this kind of supporting actor role is just like where he's just so good, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's like literally a supporting. Not only is he a supporting actor to a degree yeah, in the movie, yeah. but he's also a supporting. <laughs> actor of the other character like he literally stands in for him in some ways which is kind of interesting yeah right. you don't hear um, people talk about you know benjamin button or even like moneyball as good as moneyball was his more traditional leading man yeah. roles you don't hear people gush over those but people talk about glorious bastards they talk about burn after reading they talk about stuff that brad pitt does that is a little off the beaten path you know yeah totally fury agree. even fury he's an ensemble he's not he's one of four people he's he's you know barely the lead in that and these are the things i think about when i think about how good of an actor Brad Pitt is, not how he's a leading man. I think that is what we focus on more. He picks great roles, and and then they're 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 uh, they're not exactly what you'd expect them to be. I think Tom, you said snatch, and then even back to like true romance too. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, if you've made it this far, it, you are in for a treat because this is why we're all here. This is the whole Which show. This is the joy of everything. Uh, uh, we got one more charming man to talk about, don't we, we Steve? We do. Perhaps yeah. America's most charming individual, Alfredo Pacino. In this movie, for a very brief amount of time, really two scenes, only one that really matters, the first scene in the movie. Marvin, Tar Marvin Schwartz. Yes, Quinn Tarantino wrote the role Schwartz. of Marvin Schwartz, yeah, which none of us can say. No T. No T. <laughs> no That's right. I would love to get your take. Tom's first, of course, because Tom is the most anti-Al Pacino person I know. What did you think of Mr. Pacino in his first Tarantino movie and one of his biggest roles in recent memory? All right, well, let me let me bury the lead here for a second and, and just give some context to build up. This might surprise you a little bit, but one thing that Tarantino has been so good at his entire career is just getting these amazing performances out of people who are either... <laughs> not seen as like that good of actors or are kind of washed up or haven't done anything good in a long time. I think I know where you're going. So I'm going to let it, I'm not going to say anything. Just keep talking. I, I think that he knows how to get a very effective performance out of someone like Al Pacino. And I thought he did a great job in that role. Hey, I'm gonna take that. That feels like a win. <laughs> but let me let me just say before you get too excited, that's all Tarantino. It doesn't really have anything to do with Pacino. <laughs> you son of a! How dare you? <laughs> no, it, it was a totally great role, honestly. Uh, uh, well, I loved it. I mean, like, I yeah, I 
I feel like it's I, I great actually, because it sets you up like you see Al and you're smiling and he looks sort of silly and you laugh and it you know establishes who Rick Dalton is like I feel like it's just it's it is uh, you know stepping away from Tom's damning with fame praise I feel like it's great use of a very loud bombastic actor especially at this point in Pacino's career to sort of set us up with sort of a goofball scene that establishes Rick's bona fides and who he is and what he's there for like I just I do agree it was it was a very appropriate use of Al to say the least. Yep. His face is just like old, uh, wrinkled, but still like you know, good-looking face. <laughs> and with like just, goofy glasses on, like it was it definitely you know. Yeah, it perfectly evokes this like old-timey like Hollywood producer. Just like just just the look alone. He he could have said nothing and have been perfectly cast. Uh, I will. I I think it was like I I don't know. Like I would never call it. Well, really, any Al Pacino performance muted exactly, but like. There was kind of a mundanity to the absurd character he was playing that, like, I thought was great. And, uh, like, we talked about this on the Jackie Brown um, podcast. And, like, again, we're talking about Pacino, so we have to talk about De Niro, of course. But, like, I thought, like, that's another great example. I would take it away from what you're saying, Tom, of, like, uh, getting good performances out of washed-up actors and say he also is really good at getting people to play against type. Yes. Um, yes. And and in some ways, like especially the recent Pacino that we that we've kind of like, you know, panned on this podcast or, or on our sister. Some, some, of, some of us are some like of us have panned him. Um, like this feels again, it's not a muted performance. It has bombastic to it but it's like it feels like a million miles away from devil's advocate right like or or one of those movies and like in a, in a good way like him talking about his wife and then watching like he likes westerns and what like it was like very wholesome was like, really we had funny. a drink yeah, in our home yeah. theater and we watched yeah. the movie like what a nice yeah. night <laughs> yeah it was like wholesome for a hollywood producer i guess which is like uh you know great on the curve but um no i thought it was really good and like again i think he just he got a great it was a great performance out of Al, but like you, you got to give Al some credit here. Like, I mean, yeah. he still he still got it. You know, it was only ten minutes, so um, or just give or take. You know, screen time wasn't wasn't a lot, but um, yeah, you got to give you got to give him some credit on this one. I think um, it's not just Tarantino writing a great role for him, um, although you know some of the lines. I, I think he had some of the be- probably the better lines in the movie, really. Um, so yeah. And sort of what we were saying before in terms of Tarantino playing on, you know, audience knowledge and, and trusting that he sort of has, like, smart fans who, who you know, know the backstage or whatever, and, or movie fans in general, they know the history of who these people are and why they're there. I think sort of ties in what you're saying, that when you see Al Pacino, you instinctually, you, you laugh now because you're like, oh, God, here comes Al Pacino. Like, oh, he's going to be so absurd, you know? And then he's just sort of a regular man. And you're like, oh, and it's a pleasant surprise. And it's, like you said, it goes against type a little bit. It's just, it's not what you're anticipating. And I think that was 100% by design like I got this I'm putting Pacino in a Tarantino movie people who care about that are gonna get all excited and, and pumped up and then it'll just be a role you know it won't be anything else, but it'll still tap into that you know Pacino actually be having to act for a change and being like you said a little understated a little normal like I think he knows exactly what he's going for putting him in this sorts of role and just relishes in how we're gonna interpret that as, as the audience yeah, I think he he actually like again. I'm stuck on playing against type, but like if you look at some of the other performances in this movie, um, like I think the Emil Hirsch role is like Jay Sebring. He's kind of like a wimpy. He's almost in some ways like unrecognizable and wimpy, which he's kind of done. But again, public persona wise, feels different. And then the other one I would call out is Dakota Fanning uh, as like a terrifying possible murderer. Um, yeah. Eventual attempted murderer of a president. Right. Right. And like, so like totally like that other one is the one I would say like is most against type. And he doesn't always like to flip it around. He doesn't always do it. It's not like his thing. Like I'm looking like Bruce Dern is a hundred percent on type and even DiCaprio and Pitt are like a hundred percent on type. Tim the Olfon plays a cowboy, which like he plays a cowboy in anything, everything he's ever done. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. So it's just like interesting how he, he play, he plays, he, he just uses that perception that we all have of these people um, in different ways, which I mean, is just a tribute to him and him being great at what he does. 
So, Tom, any final Al thoughts? Any more? Uh, you want to say another nice thing about him for me or for Al? Not even <laughs> just for me. I'll pass it on to Al if you want to say it. I'll pass it on to Al. He, you did a good job in this one, man. Oh, man. He's going to love hearing that, especially with the Irishman coming up soon. Like, what a treat. There's going to be so much Al yeah, for you yeah, this year. Revert back. Uh, <laughs> speak about, like, a, being cast against character. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna revert right back into character on that one, I, I am guessing. <laughs> I dread talking about the Irishman with you, Tom, but I think we're going to, you know, we're going to have to do it anyway. So we'll get there soon enough. Please, please, please. I want to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, well, that about does it for our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode. It was really a treat. I think it's out of theaters at this point, but it'll be, I'm sure, coming out in VOD and available. If you still buy things like a weirdo, you can do that. Like, it'll be very accessible. I'm very intrigued to see how this does uh, the uh, when the award season rolls around. Andrew, you sort of touched yeah. upon that. It made a lot of money, especially for a Tarantino movie um, that isn't a Kill Bill, you know, blood and guts gore fest. So, it, and it had a lot of cachet. It was arguably one of the movies of the summer, if not the movie of the summer. So that doesn't usually mean awards gold. But uh, at this point, this, I think it's been a pretty bad year in movies. Like, I think this has to be one of the front runners right now. And we know that Hollywood loves to fillet itself. So a movie about yeah. ye old days and the good old yeah. times. And that that is definitely an appeal to a lot of Hollywood voters, I would imagine. Yeah, movie about movies. It's guaranteed to be <laughs> have a good shot to get nominated <laughs> for something. We'll see. Uh, Al Pacino, yeah. best supporting actor for a nine minute role. I can I can dream, right? Don't know about that, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Flying too close <laughs> to the sun. Nice I understand. Thing. I'm gonna I'm just gonna appreciate that Tom said a nice thing. That's all I need. Thank you. That's better <laughs> than an Oscar, honestly. I mean, yeah, I mean, he should be he should be the most proud of just Tom's recommendation of his performance. <laughs> That's right. We'll get a, Tom will get we'll get Tom like a golden turd statue, and he can give it out every year to Al Pacino's <laughs> best performance, I'm, his I'll favorite. Well, I think we're going to strike up a nice friendship, us two. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> what, a, what a great ending to this. That would be that would be the perfect finale to, to all of our Inspector Pacino Pino over there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear more about our thoughts or my thoughts in particular on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my review is up on inrealdeep.com. You can subscribe to the Inreal Deep podcast everywhere podcasts are. You can find all the old episodes again at inrealdeep.com. And we're going to keep going with the Tarantino episodes. We're going to have a Death Proof episode coming in the very near future. So subscribe, check out the site, go back and listen to our old Tarantinos and enjoy the new ones as we enter the more bombastic, silly era of Tarantino, which will prompt a lot of good conversation from Andrew and myself. So keep an eye out for that. It's sure to be great. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Tom, thank you in particular for joining us. So glad we're able to get you back. Can't wait to talk more Pacino with you. At the very least, the Irishman, but I'm sure we'll fit some other garbage in in between. Soon. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get some Pacino back going. It's like the lifeblood of our site, so it is. It's some of our. I'll most join anytime, guys. I think it's there, a bunch of them are our most popular episodes ever, which I don't think anybody knows why, but that's fun. Who asked questions? I'm just happy. I'm just happy people want to hear us talk about any given Sunday for 45 minutes. So <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> so thank you both. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Mm-hmm.